We'll seek to finish chapter 9 tonight, beginning in verse 16. The covenant ratified. Years ago, uh, when Kathy and I, well, it was before we started having children, we'd uh, been married a couple years and we went to Bible college. <laughs> we had, got to meet some really, our, we had great teachers and great fellowship for a semester there together in Twin Peaks. <laughs> and I remember meeting at the end of, near the end of the semester with one of our teachers, professors in his house and told him it felt like the Lord was telling me to go back home and get my house in order. <laughs> and so, of course, having a scriptural mind that he had, it reminded him of when Ohithophel committed suicide. <laughs> I'm not laughing at that, but the fact that he used that phrase to go... He got his house in order and and took his life. There's just something about the importance of having our lives in order, our house in order, because we never know when the Lord's going to take us. We're not going to take our lives, obviously, but we never know when. You, we understand it's we're one step away from eternity, and we and we we're right. Of, uh, we're Reminded of that tonight. You know, um, we put a will together early on after we started having children and had a few assets. And now that that's kind of run its course, we have to kind of renew the will because it's, some of that stuff's no longer applicable. We no, no, no longer need godparents. Our kids are parents, <laughs> some of them, and to be. <laughs> so, wills are important. Having our houses in order is important. And there's nobody that's more orderly about having things in order than God. You realize he's the most organized person there is, right? Maybe you get accused of being OCD. You haven't seen anything yet. (laughs) He doesn't miss anything. He's very exacting. So as we pick this up here... He is logically, the writer is logically just laying this down for the Jewish brothers. There's no escape from this logic. He is bringing the knowledge of one, and this is sort of the theme that we've been going through here, one is the Old Testament worship and that system was inadequate it was never intended to be permanent it just lacked the adequacy necessary but it had a, it did have a purpose and then coming behind that thought was the perfect complete work of Jesus Christ we're going to get into that next week actually the completion the complete work nothing left to do in Verse 16, we'll pick it up here. For there is a testament. There must, where there is a testament, there is also a necessity of, be it the death of the testator. And he's, the testator here is the mediator, Christ. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power while the testator lives. 
Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled the blood, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission or forgiveness. Therefore it was necessary, in verse 23, that the copies of the things in the heavenly should be purified with these, but with the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, not to appear in the presence of God for us, or now to appear. Not that he should offer himself often, as high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now... Once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. So the mediator's blood had to be shed in this case to in, 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 which had to be through death and it was through death that his covenant could be ratified and put into full force and begin to take effect in the lives of those who would believe those who trust who who understand there as it stated there is a need for the blood this is something that's you know to, Paul writes in Romans the cross to the Greek mind, to the Gentile mind, is foolishness. I can bear witness to that. But to the Jew, it's a stumbling block. And these people were, were actually stumbling because they were trying, they were struggling with tradition, the way they'd been raised centuries of this same thing over and over. And now that's changing it's hard to let go it's stumbling them because they no longer have this outward thing it's now this eternal work of the holy spirit in working with inside their souls and their spirits you know as far as the foolishness think about it before you came to christ how many times did you hear that jesus died on the cross before you came to the lord if you were raised in the church, you know, it'd probably be hard to remember, right? But being someone who was not raised in the church, not coming to Christ until I was 18 years old, and only hearing that maybe a few times in my whole life, say, as a little guy, and just one ear, not the other, right? And then when you, but Jesus, how does Jesus dying on the cross have a relevance to anything? I mean, really? His death, his blood, what? It doesn't make sense to the carnal mind. But life is in the blood. Life 
for life. Sanctity, the, the setting apart, the cleansing comes through the blood. The purifying comes through the blood. It's the only thing that can provide forgiveness. But how does the natural man look at it? How many people, when you share the gospel with them, say, well, I live a decent life. I'm a good person. Well, okay. You don't have to argue. You never want to argue with that. Who are you? Who am I to judge you, right? But the question, that's not really the issue, is who's paying for your sins? You've got a debt before God. How how do you go about forgiving your sins? How how does that well I'm not that bad of it. I don't really need forgiveness. Well, that's a problem. But that most people understand that they're sinners. And somehow they in a conversation like this they'll begin to think, Well, yeah, well maybe I do need to be forgiven. Well, I, I've done a lot of good in my life. I think that when you know, I stand before God and, and I show Him my good works, then I, I should be okay. And actually, some even go to the point where, well, look, when I die, that'll, that'll, that'll pay for my sins. I'm just going to die and my sins will be paid for and then He'll just let me in because I died. And, you know, just all kinds of reasoning that is put forth. But the point is, Without perfect forgiveness, there's no entry into heaven. And perfect forgiveness can only come through perfect blood. The blood had to be completely pure, completely holy. And there's only one person, one containing human blood that had that qualification. And that was the mediator of this new covenant, Christ. Because God's justice had to be satisfied. And man's blood, in and of himself, the natural man's blood is not sufficient to make that payment. That's why the only way that natural man's blood can be forgiven is for that sin to be paid for. And the only way that that natural blood of that man can pay for it is to pay eternally for it. People in hell are literally paying the debt that can never be satisfied because it is the, their blood is upon their own head. Their sin is upon their own head. They are literally paying their debt. To the degree that they sin against God is to the degree that they are paying that debt eternally separated from God. We are eternal beings. Life is in the blood. It's who we are. And that's the point. Because Why? Because in order for God to release people from hell, he would have to deny who he is. He would have to deny his justice, and he can't do that. He, can, he is the Lord our God, and he does not change. Yesterday, today, and forever, he is the same. His justice is unmovable. His righteousness is, must be satisfied, or his wrath will break out. It's just the way he's built. Lowering it to our terms. So think about this. When we accept the forgiveness and we accept His way, it in reality expresses our love to Him and it we're now yielded to Him. And, and how do we know that someone really loves God? I mean, Jesus made it really clear. 
If you love me, you'll do what? You'll obey me. You know, I struggle. We, we all have that battle with the, the fallen man. And if you don't have a battle with it, we can talk afterwards about that. <laughs> because we all struggle. And the older we get it, you know, that's what Peter says, the old man that grows corrupt, it doesn't get any better as you get older. You'd like to think things get easier. Didn't you think that when you were a kid? Well, when I get old, I'll have it all together. <laughs> How many of you got it together? Everybody got it all together already? Well, good for you, right? I was going somewhere with that. Where was I before I... Digressed. The natural worship of man, and we'll pick it up here, um, is not acceptable to God. It can't be, because it's not been purified. It's it's when we come when the natural man and person says, "Well, you know, my works." are sufficient. Therefore, I can worship God any way that I want. That's not going to fly. Everything that's presented to God must be first sanctified, made holy. It's the, it's the idea of, in the Old Testament, was having respect for the sacred space. When you're coming into the presence of the Holy One, you had to be atoned for. There had to be a cleansing, a washing. And so... Our worship naturally is not cleansed by by anything that we could do. It has to be brought under the blood. That's such an why because the natural man's character violates the nature of God. We're just that way. We must come on the basis of forgiveness. Think about uh, even our praise. They he sanctified. Remember he just we just read he sanctified all these objects. Well, that'd be the altar of incense. That's praise and worship right there. That had to be sanctified. Sprinkle it. When we come in here, that's what we pray to start with, right? Lord, forgive us. We're putting, we're putting, we're sprinkling the blood upon our hearts. Symbolically, when we pray that. Now that we've been ceremonially, spiritually applying the blood, then our praise and our worship is acceptable to God. Coming in just naturally. Now think about the worship that goes on in the Western culture today. I don't really want to go to that church. I don't really like the way they play their music. I don't like, I, don't, I, just do, I need a band. Okay. What does it say? What is, has what is this Holy Spirit said to the church in the last days? The Spirit speaks expressively. Just, this is going to happen so to speak. It tells us in the last days that people in the church sensual. How does it make you feel? Oh, it just feels so good. That is not worship under the blood. That is making me feel good. Is worship for me? Oh no. Worship is for him. It has to come through the blood, atone, and then now it's acceptable. It is never here without any atonement. Because it feels good to me. Very important. We all have to be cleansed without 
just like we can't enter the presence of God without forgiveness, neither can our worship come before God without forgiveness. It's meaningless. If I'm not obeying the Lord, we'll get back to that point earlier. If I really love the Lord, that's how it's measured. My love for God is measured by my obedience. If if you've walked with the Lord, there is that wilderness experience where he, you just get broken down. You realize because you're trying to measure your spirituality by your obedience, the law, self-imposed, and you realize, man, I just can't get this. How many people walk away from the church because they can't keep the law? Well, nobody's going to keep it complete, perfectly, but they don't understand that law was there to drive you to that point of frustration where you would break and say, well, I'm a train wreck, God, please help me. I've been waiting for you to say that. Let me wash you. Now you're acceptable. Now you come in without self-effort. He did it for you. He washed your heart. He washed your feet. It's not about striving after the law. And this is why I think it was so hard for the, the Jewish people, this outward measuring. And this is what the law, the law living is. If I do this, then, God, then I'm going to expect God to bless me. I did this. Now he owes me. Oh, whoa. You see how easy it is to cross that line? where you Now, by my conduct, God owes me. What kind of relationship is it? That's a law relationship. That's not what we've been called to. And so God is, through the writer here and through his driving this point home, he's showing the complete work of Christ is without self. And, and it was uh, witnessed in verses 23 through 28 here by Jesus going into heaven, presenting that better sacrifice there in, um, isn't that great? <laughs> I forgot to push the button. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but he has a better sacrifice, not made because he went into the holy place, the place, uh, the holy place. And as we studied the last couple of weeks, the veil was torn at the death of Christ from top to bottom. The, the two rooms were separated by that curtain. What really happened is now there's just one room. Isn't that great? In heaven, there's no veil. It's just, you are there. You are in the sanctuary. You are there, right there in the very presence of God. That is just amazing to me. In verse 26, he said he often suffered, uh, he had to suffer often once from the foundation of the world, but now at the end of the age, ages, he's appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 26, once at the end of the ages. Verse 27, it is appointed for men to die once. Verse 28, and Christ offered himself once. I think there's something important there with the word once. You know, think of, I like the word once. Okay, I got that right. The first part, at the end of the age. That was 2,000 years ago. How close is the coming of Christ? How close. I mean, we are like seconds away from all three 
handles of the dial straight up, right? We're seconds away in God's clock, apparently, right? At the end of the age. This, and I don't mean to be mean to the Roman Catholics in any way, but this is one thing that is very concerning and it is um, what they do is indefensible scripturally. You cannot defend what they do. And they're, uh, they're, they're in their mass. They repeat and repeat the atoning sacrifice in a numerable number of times. What does it say here? Once for all. And in the Greek is very strong. Final. That's it. Nothing else. No more. You cannot continue to crucify Christ on the cross. Scripture make it plain. He suffered and he died and offered himself once. They have a lot of things right, but that practice and that theology is off. It's not scriptural. We should be just shouting for joy when we think about sin was taken care of the first time when he came. And then what's going to... If if sin was taken care of the first time, what will happen at the the second time? Our salvation will be complete. That's what we got to look forward to. You think about this once thing. You know, kind of end early tonight with this thought because I think it's important uh, to remember this. In the Old Testament, there are certain things... um, uh, that only happened once. And uh, the first one will be really happy for most men is that you're only circumcised once. <laughs> In the New Testament, you're only baptized once. Some people get baptized more than once. I, I don't have a problem with that. I'm just saying it, 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 you only need to be baptized once. And some things are, you're just, you're one and done. And that's good. It's sufficient. It's a faith thing for sure. But there's some things that we do as they did in the Old Testament. They offered sacrifices continually. Morning sacrifice, evening sacrifice, morning sacrifice, evening sacrifice. I mean, you can get the idea it would be hard to break some of these habits, right? I'm not going to fault them for that. The fault would be not accepting the truth of what Jesus did, right? But we, what do we do in the New Testament over and over and over at the command of Christ, actually? As often as you do it, do this in remembrance of me. We take communion over and over again. Why? Because there's some things that we need constantly to do. And that one is to feed on the bread of life. This is my body broken for you. I am the bread of life. We are to feed upon Christ continually. He died only once. And I accept him as my Savior. How many times? Once. But I feed on him continually. Just because Jesus died once and for all doesn't mean the blood is applied once and for all, right? 
It's applied continually. I need to be forgiven moment by moment, day by day, week by week, continually applying the blood. Jesus is the light of the world. And every day I need that light to shine in me over and over and over again. It's not just, I was justified in the past, but I'm being sanctified in the moment by moment experience. My salvation is in that order. It is justification, it is sanctification, and then one day, glorification. The justification is once and for all. That's what the blood of Christ did. Positionally put me in Christ. Baptized once and for all into the body of Christ. But then, day by day, as God's Spirit, is, through His Word and through the presence of His Spirit, sanctifying me. This is Romans in the short. In the short. Applying the blood. Walking in the light. Day by day. And then one day, God says... You're ready. Come on home. That day for you is unknown. That day for me is unknown. It's just, but it's a reality. It's going to happen. And whether it's by rapture or by natural death, we do not know. But we need to be ready. Our houses need to be in order. See, this is the thing, you know, people wonder what, what, this is something that's really changed in our culture in the last few years used to be no big deal to go to church twice a week. In fact, if you lived in Southern California, as we did for a while, and some of you have moved from there, I'm not sure how it is now, but a lot of people went two or three times a week to church. Not just Sunday, they went to Tuesday school at Costa Mesa. Uh, they went Thursday nights to Chuck's study, and then, of course, if Chuck Missler had something going, there's people that even went to that. I mean, they're going, hey, this is the thing that, to do. But there was something, it wasn't just because they wanted to learn the Bible, that was part of it. Some great Bible, greatest Bible teaching going on, you can imagine. Great teachers. But the worship, just knowing that they, a person needs to be before the Lord. We need this moment by moment thing. It's just not this Sunday thing I do. I could never understand that. Well, I'd done my duty, I went to church this week. Wow, that's your relationship with God? Don't you just want to walk with Jesus? That's really what it's about. So to me, I mean, we are do our devotions. You've heard my, I, I stand on this soapbox quite often. Our, our, our devotions are necessary, important, but there's nothing like being together and singing. Two or three, there's some special dynamic going on there. Some of the people are talking about wanting to do fellowships and stuff on the side. I'm thinking, yeah, oh yeah, go for it. The more we, as you see the draw, and he tells these people in the next chapter, as you see the day approaching, don't, don't neglect the fellowship. Don't separate yourself uh, from church gatherings from the assembly you know that's what the, the enemy would have us pull us out of the fire as a 
individual burning coal. What happens if you're pulled off, take a, one coal and move it out of the fire and set it by itself, what will happen to it? Just sort of begin to fade and lose its intensity. And then it can actually die out if left there. We need, to, and so that's really kind of the, the picture we should have. It's it's the burning fire we're put we're putting. You know, God, the, our consuming fire is in our midst, and He's firing our hearts up in holiness, creating a willingness for us to walk that highway of holiness with Him, day by day. And so, that's why I like to come to church. Not just you know, I like to teach it. Even somebody else is. I know some of the other guys teach. I'm here. It's not about my ministry. I mean, I want to be before God. I want to worship before Him. And I love to pray with people and to pray for people. And that's what we do. And I think we need to be amping it up more than going the other direction, especially with what we see here.